Hey, best friends. Thank you so much for listening. Your best friend you done is a show that can only happen if I bring on new friends. That means you. So if you want to be best friends with me or know someone that needs a best friend, fill out the form on my Instagram page at your BFE done for your chance to be on the next episode. I can't wait to hear from all of you. Welcome back, friends, to your best friend, Idan, the podcast where each week I invite a new guest to become my new best friend. I'm your host, Idan Levy, and on this week's episode, I invited my new best friend, Molly Burdick, to talk rom-coms, Star Wars, and podcasting. Please welcome Molly. Molly, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here, excited to see you. I'm so excited to see you, Molly. It's been, we've run into each other the past couple of months we've talked to each other but that's uh, true Idan uh, used to live in my apartment it's true yeah <laughs> I, I Molly saved my life last summer I my roommates just kind of just kind of dipped me and left me uh hanging and I needed a place to sublet and Molly was leaving her room so I moved into her room and she saved my life so you saved my life too because you helped me move out at the end that's so. true yeah but I know Molly she's also the second guest I've had on this podcast that I went to Russia with yeah. And da. Molly is, where are you right now? What's I'm in, in Syracuse, New York. Mm-hmm. With yeah. family. With my, living in my childhood bedroom, mm-hmm. which is always an interesting, fun time. <laughs> it's a fun time. I was just telling Molly, I'm looking through the Zoom right now, and it's it reminds me, it's very similar to the room that I lived in uh, when I lived in Molly's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a vibe to it. It's a vibe only specific to Molly. Yeah, it's a giant gay pride flag yeah. uh, and stuffed animals. So um, yeah, it was just a lot of a lot of things on the walls. There's um, there was uh, uh, little lights on the what are they mm-hmm. called like little uh, like Christmas lights, twinkle Christmas lights. Christmas lights, yeah, twinkle yes. lights. Yeah, they broke pretty quickly, but I they didn't did. touch. Yeah, I had to I had to toss them, but um, yeah, I I knew when I moved in that room, it was like untouched. You know, I didn't. I just had my bag of clothes mm-hmm. and like. I found a desk on the street and that was it. And then the rest was all Molly's. Eden lives uh, a very simple life. I do, yeah. He's got I'm a bag also of clothes on his back. It's literally also because I'm just traveling. I'm like moving. This is I'm right now in my third apartment in a year. Oh my god. Now. Yeah. Well, this is this is a this is the apartment I'm in right now is like a real. This is like I'm not moving out of this one for now. That's like, good. This is not a in between one. I was very lucky, and all because of our good times in Russia together. Good Times in Russia, the title of our sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wondered if... I always felt like Russia, in some ways... I think I talked about this in Jordan's episode, where I felt like um, it was like a reality competition show. Except yeah. no one ever got eliminated or won. Right. Even though we were literally in a documentary, too. We were literally in a documentary. I, I forget about that every once in a while, and then I remember it again. The documentary was supposed to be about, I believe it was like about the Moscow Art Theater School. Me and Molly was, went to the Moscow Art Theater program for abroad, and so the documentary was about it, and so it was following Americans going there. And we were the Americans going there, and uh, we just, it followed the dynamics of this young American group intersecting with Russian lives and they're really supposed to be with us the first week but they really just kind of stayed with us the whole time well they came back in the middle and then they came back at the end it was like and okay we were only there for like three months so they came that's a lot of trips to Russia for them to take 
I also very distinctly remember when we went to St. Petersburg and they weren't with us at the time. And we were like, it was kind of, I think the first time we were sort of like together without the film crew and we're like, this is so great. And then we get off the train to St. Petersburg and we hop off and the dude is just standing there with the camera <laughs> and he, it's like two of them, not the full crew, just like, they're just had another trip to St. Petersburg and followed us there. Yeah, so I forgot escape. about that. I was really sick when we went to St. Petersburg. Like, eyes dripping, couldn't see, was on so much cold medication. And I, so I don't remember a lot of St. Petersburg, but I do remember us being like, this is the the straw that broke our backs. We were like, no, what are they doing here? I was uh, so tired. Yeah, I was also yeah. very tired too. And it felt like paparazzi. It felt yeah. just like... <laughs> It's like, of course. And, and they then couldn't they lost bring... the funding and it never came out. I would love to see it now. I yeah. feel like I'd be supremely embarrassed about it. Oh, because yeah. Because I said some pretty crazy things when I was on camera. <laughs> like things about theater, <laughs> things about art, things about my life that were just like, do not, I do not agree with, do not apply with me at any, not like any way where I'm like, I'm going to be canceled, but just things about like art and like, I just took it so seriously back then. <laughs> But we came out stronger and better, and uh, we're still all friends, mostly. I would hope so. I don't hate yeah. anyone. I don't. Well, yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Russia brought us together. That's documentary. Where are they now? Where are they now? Oh, they Making should. They should do a follow up. Uh, like a BuzzFeed quiz. Like, where are they now? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of friends yes. and making new friends, I'm gonna ask this question that I ask everybody. Let's say. Well, I guess. This is a weird question to ask because now things are opening up and people are getting vaccinated. And I actually went to, my sister and I had a joint party last week with with people. And this question kind of, I thought about this question when I was there. What, if you were in a room full of people you didn't know, Molly, and you had to introduce yourself to them, how would you introduce yourself to those people? Oof, Yeah. So I was listening to your episode with Jordan and you asked her this question and I got so stressed because I was like, I don't actually remember what it's like to be in a room full of people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. I used to go to parties all the time. So I was trying to think back to that time and what I did then. And I think usually, um, I think what I would usually do is try to like, if someone's talking about something that I know something about. Like, we'll bond over, like, a TV show or something. That's the easiest way in, Mm -hmm. I think. So, like, jumping in. Or, or offer to take a picture of someone. Or, like, ask someone to take a picture of you, of me. And then be like, so what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) That's a first. Wow, that's the most unique answer I've heard. Like you just you like would at stand... a party, and right. I'm specifically thinking of Halloween 2019, the last time I was at a party. <laughs> Actually, so that's you w- at a birthday party. But so <laughs> you went to so at this party, you didn't know someone, and then you asked that person to take a photo of you, and then. Yeah, so, well, what actually happened was my friend and I were party hopping because I was invited to a party and then we were both invited to a party. So he came to the first party with me where he knew no one. And then we went to the joint party that we were both invited to that we only knew one person. So we knew everyone who, or we only knew the person whose house it was, but we didn't know anybody else. 
And we found a ring light that belonged to someone in the house and started taking pictures of each other in our costumes. And then slowly people started filtering in and we're like, oh, a ring light. I want pictures in my costume. So then we started taking pictures of them. And then once their picture was taken, they were like, like, oh, I'm I don't remember his name. <laughs> Um, oh, it was Christopher. He was like, I'm Christopher. And I was like, I'm Molly. And then he was like, what do you do? And then we <laughs> talked about acting. And then we talked about um, his music thing that he was doing. And then like the, a, a crowd formed around us in the kitchen. And we just like started talking. But I don't know like what I would intro- like how I would actually introduce myself. I guess that's how I might meet people. Mm-hmm. I would probably say that I'm a podcaster and a nerd and that I and and an artist a podcaster a nerd and an artist so like a multi hyphenate and then we would talk about probably all of the things that I do and then ask them what they do and then they would talk about what they do and then we would become friends podcast is pretty low for me but -hmm. it's there it's like top five for me I Mm -hmm. think I'm like artist i don't know i haven't thought this through but well you have to answer i answered i know i'll answer i think i would always i would say um my name is edun it's pronounced edun um i uh i'm i'm living in new york um this is hard this is a hard hard, question now now that's turned on me i would say um um right now i'm uh in between work but i'm you know pursuing a career of art and performing mostly and um i really i have a podcast as well about friendship and uh so wholesome meaning uh you know you which i believe is you my new friend you're definitely going to be on it right now yeah i would definitely throw in the podcast there i think weeks ago i wouldn't but now i would i think that the more it becomes like for me at the beginning of the pandemic, I wouldn't have said, like, I'm a podcaster. I would say I have mm-hmm. a podcast, but, like, that wasn't the main thing. But as the pandemic has progressed and I've been, like, throwing everything into podcasting, like, just before we started recording, I got a call from my bank because I'm opening up a bank account for my podcast. So, like, now I'm, like, that's a job and that's, like, a defining characteristic of who I am. And then I would have to say that it's about Jane Austen. And then we would probably talk about Jane Austen. I don't know. I've been on a couple of dates recently, Edan. Ooh, congrats. Thank you. And I've had to, like, talk about myself. And what's weird is because they're through dating apps. It's like we talk about some books that we like or something. And then we're like, let's go on a date. And then we go on a date. And I'm like, I don't know what this person actually knows about me. And I feel like I talk about, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, when I was in Russia, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, you were in Russia. Yeah, that's another thing too. another uh, thing to think like another scenario that I could bring up is like how you introduce yourself at a party is different than how you introduce yourself at a date. Or it on is Tinder because you want to make yourself look good on a date at a party. It's like, let's have fun. But it's also some people, they don't see the difference. I mean, I for me, I have not yet put on my dating profiles that I do podcasting. I haven't mentioned that yet, mainly because I not that I'm insecure about it, but I just don't know how well that will read. I don't know like it what... It definitely attracts a certain kind of person. Mm-hmm. But especially because there's also a lot of uh, women on Tinder and stuff who talk a lot about... They put podcasts on their... As their like interests and they talk about podcasts on their profile. Right. 
Yeah, on my Bumble profile, I don't have podcasting, but on my Hinge profile where it says the nerdiest thing about me is the prompt and I have I host a Jane Austen podcast. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, Hinge is the place to put. I wouldn't put it on Tinder or Bumble where it's yeah. like pretty, you know, I'd bring that up, but Hinge is like that's where it's like it's like a full essay you have to write about yourself, right. exactly. you know. Um maybe I'll think about it. I'm not I'm not self-conscious, but I know like if I was on a date, it would be like, it would definitely be on the top of things I would do, but at a party, I don't know if I would bring it up. See, I feel like the other way around, mm. because I think at a party, that's a conversation starter. People want to talk about media True. parties because you're not going to get into like the depths of who you are as a human, but they're like, oh, like, have you watched Shit's Creek? Oh, did you listen to this one podcast? Like, oh, you like podcasts? I have a podcast. Yeah. The thing is, I don't even really listen to that many podcasts. Mm. I just have one. I listen to like two or three that's actually okay that's a that's a good amount. that's a fair number of podcasts. that's a fair amount but it's very specific i listen to like pop culture podcasts i don't listen to and and they're not long too so i'm not like sitting listening to them but it was mm-hmm. also interesting because i worked this job uh with a friend of mine recently uh when i worked at the vaccine site mm-hmm. and it was you know a lot of people there are come from different backgrounds a lot of them work in healthcare. others work in service industry it's just kind of a random group of people and telling them that I have a podcast was like similar to like being like I'm an alien from outer space. I'm just like, <laughs> whoa, a podcast, you must be famous or something. And I was like, it was like the coolest thing for them to hear. Yeah, yeah. And I was a little embarrassed about it because I was like, oh, it's just, you know, a podcast about friendship and art, you know, and I was like, no, no, you know what? And then like, but it's also like a reminder that it's like, yeah, it's a cool thing to have it's an awesome thing that's how i feel around my mom's friends they all think it's so cool oh yeah oh yeah my parents yeah my parents are listening and sharing and um my dad is actually he loves the podcast because not just because i make it but because he feels like he's like i finally understand your generation of kids i don't know anything about it he's like i feel like you're some of the smartest people and i think yeah then maybe that's there's a good there's a there's a gap that we could bridge you know, yours is also podcast is very specific. Um, I've listened to an episode and I actually think it's very as someone I know Jane Austen, I've read Pride and Prejudice, I've seen the movies, but I am like always it's very interesting how accessible it is. And I think that's like very like with this podcast, it's like also what I'm trying to do is just sort of like, you know, it's pop culture with friendship, but trying to like you can talk about anything and it'd still be relevant, you know? Right. I think it is a specific thing. I feel like um, I was just talking about this with my co-host. For your listeners, my podcast is a Jane Austen podcast where I've never read any Jane Austen and my co-host has, and we're going through chapter by chapter mm, just so they know so what we're good. talking about, which is that we picked something incredibly niche, which makes it an easy, an easy circle to grow famous within. So like in terms of Jane Austen podcasts, like we are a famous Jane Austen podcast because the circle of Jane Austen fandom is so contained. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that, it's like the nicher you go, the easier it is to gain like a small but mighty following. It's what's interesting about podcasts. And like our, our listeners are so nice. Whereas like listeners in other fandoms, like Harry Potter podcasts or Lord oh, of the Rings no. podcasts are so mean. <laughs> yeah. You picked a good one. I think, yeah. I mean, I don't know too many Jane Austen stands, but I feel like even Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Star Wars, all of them, all they're, of which I love. Same, yeah, but, but they all fight I, with each other. They fight, no. All and the no, time. You know, and the idea to that I love about podcasts, I knew nothing about making podcasts when I made it. 
I did barely listen to podcasts beforehand and I just kind of did it. And now mm-hmm. here I am on Spotify, on yeah. Apple doing it. And Anyone what's nice is it. that podcasters are all so nice and like willing to help each other out and like always want to talk about podcasting with each other. I just think that it's a really nice group of people. Mm-hmm. Your Instagram page is funny too because it has so many followers and so many people retweet stuff, but it's like memes. It's a lot of like Pride and Prejudice memes. Yeah. Some of them I don't really understand, but I like <laughs> it because I think people like it, you know? Yeah, that's another thing is that the, the meme community for Jane Austen is also like really strong, like large. And that's, we made a lot of followers by, or we got a lot of followers by making memes. But not all of those people found us because of our podcast. They found us because of our memes going viral. So like, then I have to post every once in a while being like, hey, if you're here for the memes, we're a podcast. Please listen to it. (laughs) The dream of mine I have one day is to have like a game show where stands of the podcast have to answer questions about specific episodes. Like, what did this person like? Yeah. But that's later down the line, you know, that's like episode 200 or something. Yeah, well, I have to or... say your podcast is very wholesome and uh, also your Instagram page has a really nice aesthetic. I like the greens and the blues. It's like... Yes, it's it's a beautiful, yeah, the, the, your boyfriend, he done, it's, my sister uh, designed that poster. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very calm, but then like if I was looking at it the other day and it's like so jarring, like all the, like, because it's just like a bunch of, shitty photoshopped things (laughs) but if you scroll through it it's like it like hurts your eyes a little bit um but it's so fun so um, i i think that's kind of the randomness so i think i'm gonna keep with that for a little bit and then when i figure when my photoshop skills get a little bit better i'll make it a little bit like more like calm yeah um but they're also the photoshop is like the reason why people they're like uh will listen to it you know they'll Mm -hmm. see a photo of shrek and they'll be like i gotta listen to this podcast shrek can i tell you we done I watched Shrek last night because I listened to your episode with Jordan and you were talking about Shrek and I, my brother is here this week and I knew that my mom would never agree if it was just me saying that I want to watch Shrek. But when I said, let's order Chinese food and watch Shrek, my brother was like, I want to order Chinese food and watch Shrek. And so we did. And that movie holds up so well. It's so good. It's too good. Shrek 2, I think also is incredible in some ways a little bit better. finagle them into watching that too shrek is so popular that it's been brought up i think it's like the most brought up thing in all my podcast episodes i think i've brought it up like four or five times it's so good it's so good it was the main thing of one thing and somebody brought it up in the last episode and i think it just it just is uh i think it's something about growing up in the 2000s that we just shrek was a bigger part of our lives than we realize yeah you know Definitely. And it's also about friendship too, you know? Shrek and Donkey. They Shrek and are Donkey. unlikely friends. That's what friends do. They forgive each other, Shrek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they learn and they grow together and um, they learn to accept each other for who they are. Unless you're talking about Shrek, which I would love to talk about Shrek, what were some of the things? What is a piece of art? What is the things that you want to share with your best friends now that are listening? So ultimately. My favorite movies are the Star Wars franchise, all of them, The Mandalorian. Thank goodness for The Mandalorian. 
Love it. Uh, and then like golden age rom-coms. I consider the golden age of rom-coms to be the late 90s and early 2000s. Cut off 2006 um, with The Holiday. Oh, Yeah, okay, so, so I've we'll got like The Princess Diaries, 13 Going on 30, The Holiday, While You Were Sleeping, You've Got Mail, Ooh. 10 Things I Hate About we You. We talked about that in one of my, yeah, we talked about Mystic River, Mystic Pizza, not Mystic River. I watched Mystic Pizza recently and I liked it, but I, it didn't mm-hmm. make my list. <laughs> It's okay. Oh, also, what a girl wants. I would watch. I would mm. watch Colin Firth do anything. Colin Firth. Yep. Yeah. Oh, classic. Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy in the nineteen ninety five Pride and Prejudice. A lot of cult classics. I see. Cult classics seems to be the theme a little bit. Yeah, I mean, would you call The Princess Diaries a cult classic? I think yeah, so. I think so too. And I watched it recently, and then and well, I've watched it. I've probably watched it like once every two years for the past for my whole life um Mm -hmm. like the princess diaries it has become one of my favorite movies it's just a good movie it's not even a good kids movie it's just an excellent film it's really funny the like transformation from where she comes from with the big hair and the it's like it's so very clear like watching it now it's like this is a beautiful woman that is just they think everybody has frizzy hair She just has frizzy hair and everyone just calls her ugly. So we just have to go with it. But it's like very clearly like there's nothing wrong with this woman. She has like glasses. And then the transformation is like. Is them tweezing her eyebrows. Yeah. it's Oh, that's a funny scene. It's like, uh, oh, man, it's so good. It's Um, so good. It's and it's just like it's about, you know, be it's like about your it's about family, but it's about friendship and it's about loyalty to your your heritage like um mm-hmm. understanding where you come from but like still being who you are and not changing everything and making no sacrifices for like she still becomes a princess yeah and like, she she does it on her own terms and julie andrews it's a hot take but i think it's one of her best performances i think it's career. her best performance <laughs> you think it's her best performance yeah yeah sound of music no sound of mary no. poppins no this is no. yeah i mean i literally i think she really is perfectly cast i don't know how they convinced her to do it but it is it is just like it she makes that movie work like mm-hmm. the rest of the movie is so ridiculous but it's like yeah julie andrews is her Anne hathaway's grandmother deal with it yeah what are other uh like romance like rom-com um because i'm ones... very curious about this golden era that you're talking about yeah but... well the f- i can read you the f- i have a, a lot of them um mm. but the other ones that i put in bold so that i would remember to bring them up 13 mm-hmm. going on 30 every time i watch it i'm like this is a perfect film it's perfect like what's his yeah mark ruffalo mark ruffalo who he looks the same he does look the same and he tweeted something problematic recently but we won't get into that um it's okay and jennifer garner garner gardner Garner. yeah I don't it's very funny so funny so pure um it's just like it's such a simple concept that makes it good for both kids and adults because it's about a kid in an adult's body yeah and i think it's also interesting because it's like jennifer garner does a good job in it but i also feel like she wasn't she kind of acts like a 13 year old in like a lot of her not like in not in a bad not a negative way but there's something Mm -hmm. very like youthful and innocent about her that it just it fit for another well-cast performance i think it might be my favorite of uh of hers as well yeah i mean i don't think i've seen anything else with her in it that i no i've seen other things with her in it but nothing that i'm like this is the best movie ever yeah it's the only one i really remember yeah and i mean love is a battlefield 
Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's up there. Um, the Holiday, that was 2006. That's the cutoff year for me in terms of Golden Era rom-com. Is that Queen Latifah? No, or that's The no. Last Holiday. That's The Last Holiday. Yes. Okay. The Holiday is Jack Black, um, Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, and um, Jin, uh, the really handsome man. He's British. Um Oh my God, Mr. Napkinhead, Jude Law. Jude Law, yes. Yeah, yeah. So they they swap houses. Um, Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet have these two very opposite lives, and they both need to get away. And so they swap houses for two weeks, and they fall in love with people while they're in the other person's house. Hmm. I know about this movie. I've definitely seen it around. I've never actually. I haven't seen it. Damn it. I'll def- check You'll it out. You'll have to watch it. It's a really good Christmas movie and a perfect alternative to, like, um, Love Actually, which, like, is a good movie, but this is, like, a great movie. Oh, okay. I love That's Love Actually. I see I you love putting Love Actually. So do okay, I. Okay, no, I, I believe, I'll trust you. I'll trust that judgment. It's I like, think Love Actually has sort of, like, it comes in waves in how people like it, but. I mean, when I watch it, I have a great time. Me I just too. sometimes feel a little bit embarrassed about watching it. It's, like, seven different rom-coms in one movie, and yeah. I think does it well you know that has to be up there that has to be up there for sure for yeah i think i would put that up there this is like the holiday is a more sophisticated version of that is what Mm -hmm. i would say because it has like three or four plots going on at once that are interconnected um but it's less of like kitschy i really do love love actually though because um i would watch emma thompson sew a hat i like I love her. So that's up there. Notting Hill. Mm-hmm. Hugh Grant. I would watch Hugh Grant do anything. Oh, yeah. Hugh Grant is cool. I like him a lot. I think he had a moment. He was in like every movie. I think in, in every movie since the 2000s to 2006, he was in literally every yeah. movie. Yeah. During this pandemic, <laughs> I did go through, like, I'm, again, living with my mom, and we've had a hard time, and so it's been like, we have to watch trashy rom-coms at night and so there was a time when i would just be like hugh grant movies go and then we would just like watch them um so that's on there obviously and it's like a it's got you know sort of a weird problematic plot line but like it's fun um while you were sleeping is another one with a weird problematic plot line while you were sleeping is actually i that was one of the first movies i saw in quarantine and i i think it i actually I think it was like at the time where it was like we were starting to quarantine was like getting was like really hard person. I, I remember just being so moved by it. Yeah, that's one um, of my favorite movies of all time. I that for a while I went through a phase where I would watch it like once a month. It's not during quarantine, but like during high school. Um, it's so good. It's and it, and it is weird and creepy at first, but then it's not anymore. Yeah. But the thing is also, I also studied it in a film class I took at Sarah, at college um, about, it was like a science fiction class. So it was just about, but he was bringing it up as sort of this example of like, you know, this person is sleeping. She's created this whole universe and believing who he is. Mm-hmm. And then like the reality of, she it ends up like not really being what, he's not really what she wants him to be and he doesn't know what's going on he was connecting it to like other science fiction films but i just remember like that was uh it was it was quite a reach and quite a jump and definitely one of those moments where you're like yeah i'm in a college class right now yeah yeah um but then i saw it actually for real for the first time 
in quarantine. I was like, no, it's not about any of that. No, but, you know, I can see that. I can see where that metaphor is going. It is definitely a stretch, but we do make up stories about people when we want them to be, when we want to fit them into our lives in a certain way. Yeah. And we make up stories about, like, other things, too, like, about who we are and, like, we do. So I get where he's going with that. I took a film class in college. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about directors and we studied like different directors works and for my final project I studied David Lynch and I probably watched Mulholland Drive like four times and I really love that movie I love that movie too and I hated it when I first saw it I did not understand it I thought Mm -hmm. I saw it when I was like in high school and then I saw it like a little bit afterwards like I saw clips from it was like "Eh, it's not pretty good then I saw it again and I was like okay this is really great and then I saw it think two more times after that and I was like yeah this is a perfect movie yeah it really I mean it's been a while because I did watch it all four times like in a week but I think I had a similar kind of I watched it once and I was like "Mm, don't understand what's going on but if I'm gonna write a paper on it I have to so I watched it again and then I was like okay yeah I'm gonna watch this all the time it's just like it's a dream it's a dream. It's a dream. It's so accurate to what, like, I feel like I've had dreams so similar to that. Where, where like, you're like, you think one thing's happening, and then all of a sudden something else is happening, and, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre. It's, like, almost like he took a s- snapshot of how people dream. Like, just the randomness and the characters and how things come together. It's and like, she... And then it, yeah. And she's incredible in it, too. What's her name? Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. She's like, that is the pinnacle of acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always think of the scene where um, she has to give that audition with that man mm-hmm. and they do it a couple times and it's like pretty bad or whatever. And then they do it one last time and it's the most incredible acting performance I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just like, oh my God. And it's exactly what a dream is. And then like at the end, when you, when you try to fit, at the end, it kind of reveals what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's like the jump is so it's so incredible that watching it back with that in mind actually makes the whole thing. Yes. Work 10 times better. The moment that I always remember is I don't I don't remember like the full plot, but she is banging on the door of the house and then she's inside and she's like laying on the couch and it's like flies because she's dead and like all of this stuff. Spoiler alert. But, um, and she's yeah. like banging on the door of the house. Um, that always really get got me. Um, but yeah, we've gone so far off rom coms. But yeah, I, I just yeah. feel like rom coms they're easy. They're easy to digest. Mm-hmm. I never don't feel happy after I see one. Yeah, I haven't wanted to watch things that aren't gonna make me feel good lately. Like I just want to watch things and like escape. And I also am reading a lot of like YA rom coms as like escape like purely escapism there was a time period in the early 2000s i think you get right and like even in the 90s where it was like the stories were so ridiculous and people like critics especially like really hammered these movies for being like out of touch or bizarre or having plot lines that didn't matter but it was like that's what we kind of needed to see it's like early 2000s like a dark time in american history but we needed stupid shit like that and i think now it's like there's so much stupid shit like it, it's not even good there's no thing that it doesn't work anymore it's like it's right. not the same it doesn't work the same way i think when you get past 2006 
they started focusing the movies too much on like like they got complicated and they got mm-hmm. like yeah. they started being like about sex and like that's not what I wanted my rom-com to be honest I just wanted to be simple uncomplicated love at first sight get married in a week as much as it's unrealistic and I get mad at them I'm like why are they getting like at the end of while you were sleeping I'm like don't get oh, married yeah of course yeah <laughs> and it's yeah, the same but- with like what's it called um you've got mail actually no you've got mail holds up because they don't get married at the end but like everything where they get married i'm like uh but then also it's so simple it's simple it's also is it unrealistic like maybe this this could happen you know this is a big big world there's a lot of people who get married that's what makes it a movie they're so in love that they have to get married tomorrow yeah yeah like shrek (laughs) like shrek again we bring up shrek um (laughs) who just decides that the woman, the other ogre in his life is going to just marry him. Right. They're the, the um, only two ogres. So they, I think, I think, I think Shrek comps as a rom-com. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think Absolutely. it's up there. It's not, it's not quite in this might not be in the same ballpark, but it's, it's a rom-com. It's comedic and romantic. It's very romantic. I think it's like more romantic than a lot of actual other rom-coms that have come out since 2006. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I've and I've seen there. Okay, there are some rom coms that have come out after two thousand six that I liked. I think Twenty Seven Dresses came out after two thousand six. Oh yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. Um, but that's one of the only good ones that came out after two thousand six. I mean, I might bite my own butt. I might be totally wrong. But no, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're absolutely correct. I think yeah. you've hit it on the nail. I think the movie that changed it. I'm not sure if this came out twenty six. Have you ever seen Hitch? No, because I don't want to. <laughs> I think that's when things changed. When you said, like, things were about sex. Yeah. Like, my babysitter wanted to go see this movie. It was PG-13. I was young. But she, we went to it with her friends. And it's a movie about a man who is, like, a sex doctor. Or, like, he's, like, a relationship expert. But he himself, Will Smith, he himself is, like, not good with women. Oh, boy, what's going to happen? But the whole movie, it doesn't really work the same way. Because it's, like, it just, it just became about sex or no sex and then it was just yeah. like he realizes like oh it's not about sex it's about love and that's it and it was like there's nothing i didn't like the dude he was like an ass it's also about a man too like it's just literally called the name of the man not is his name hitch his name is literal hitch I oh think. i yeah. thought it was about like getting hitched i because it's a play on words got it it's a play on word it is a play on words but that's he's like dr hitch that's his i whole see thing. so okay it's not that i don't want to see it now but it was that i didn't feel like i was I didn't, I was like, it's about sex, and I'm, I don't know, like, how old was I in 2005? It came out in 2005. Um, I was 11, 10. So I was like, I can't watch a movie about sex, and now it's just, like, burned in my brain that it's about sex. I think so. I mean, I could also be wrong. It might be about other things, too, but that's just, like, what I remember from it. And that was the vibe that it gave off. That's, like, Mm -hmm. how they marketed it. It It's sort of like a rom-com mostly targeted towards men. We've come so far from uh, those good days of rom-coms. I always think Love Actually is, like, the... To me, that's, like, the rom-com, like... That's... When I look for rom-coms to watch, I do look for... Like, I search movies like Love Actually... Because yeah. that's the that's the feeling you want to have when you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Is the feeling you have when you're watching Love Actually. It's also just because it's like seven different rom coms in one movie, and they're and all connected. A, they're all connected, which I and love. And they all have happy, mostly happy endings. Yes. And um, and then it just became for a while there was like Dear John, and all these like sad like The Notebook, and all these movies that were like 
romantic but really sad like somebody has to die at the end of this i found out that the notebook came out the same year as mean girls recently i i've lost and so she's in both of yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like such opposite characters and i think that's hilarious um the notebook is one that i will admit that i went through a phase with that as well i watched that a lot she is and mean girls is obviously one of the best it's up there i mean beyond rom-com i mean it's it's it is a rom-com it's a teen movie it's a high school movie it's a good high school movie cult classic action movie comedy drama you it know, has it all it has literally all of it musical okay yeah i i will defend mean girls i've bought also mean girls all the time up in in pot because it's it's a move that's a movie that i when you say like you watch once a month that's a movie i watched like anytime i was sad i would watch mean girls wow. in college and high school at one point in high school i did know a lot of the dialogue from that movie because that's yeah i watched it so many times that was um in high school for me that was titanic <laughs> which is wow. like not something you should watch to cheer yourself up but i like to feel my feelings so i would watch it to cry mm-hmm. um but i yeah i watched that too much i did watch mean girls a lot in college when i was sad and wanted to cheer myself up um we would probably my house would watch the lizzie mcguire movie mm. which is also a great film I saw I saw a meme on Twitter recently that was like, "What's your favorite Italian film?" And had all these like Italian directors, like classic movies, like Anne Havel, and then it was like a photo of like Lizzie McGuire on the scooter. <laughs> it was, like it's their favorite Italian movie. That's amazing. It's true. It's one of the best Italian movies of all time. It is. It's so good. Why rom coms? Why why are we like why are we obsessed with them? I think it has to do with <laughs> wanting life to be simpler than it is mm-hmm. because there's nary a rom-com that ends unhappily for the main characters mm-hmm. like you know that they're probably going to end up together and i think that that is really nice to watch and like you know that you don't have to worry that's why i watch them mm-hmm. and some rom- there are some movies that are on my list that i would classify as rom-coms but that i watch for something other than the love story um other movies like i also have on my list of top movies eternal sunshine and the truman show um both jim carrey movies that just surpass genre for Mm -hmm. me yeah eternal sunshine is probably top five favorite movies for me yeah um yeah me too because it is funny it's a romantic comedy but it just it blows any yeah it's it's hard to like compare it to like love actually or then you know because it's just it's obviously better but it's just like there's this you can't you can't it's on do a it. different I'm not gonna, level i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it you know right it's that's why like i was even hesitant to bring it up because i'm like i don't even know where this fits in but like when i watch that movie it blows my mind consistently the same with the truman show like they both have this supernatural element that mm-hmm. are like that makes it a different genre it's not a sci-fi it's not a fantasy it's a rom-com mm-hmm. but it has a plot structure and so i don't think it fits into rom-com because most rom-coms kind of follow the same plot structure this one has a, these have their own thing they're like forging a new path mm-hmm. yeah eternal sunshine like yeah it has some rules like okay he puts a thing on then he's in his dream world and then there's no real explanation of anything else Mm -hmm. it's sort of like it just kind of is and even with the truman show it's like 
it's a TV show that people have been watching since this guy has been born. He has no clue that he's on TV. You know, whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. let's just we just go with it that he doesn't know anything. And right. I think if you tried to make those movies now, there'd be like seventy different rules to each of those things. You know, there'd be some explanation about the eternal sunshine, el- the like right. science fiction element, the dream element, or there'd yeah. be some justification, or there'd be like a million different characters and plot lines that all to just justify it rather than just like letting it be yeah. what it is. And, and that's like, what rom-coms are to me, I think. Yes, exactly. And and they're also, all of these movies that we've talked about are from a simpler time when I think that audiences didn't, audiences didn't require so much explanation. I think we were less picky and we were more willing to just accept art and take it in. And I think that, that maybe you and I and like artists in general are always willing to just accept things and take it in. And like, Except like, okay, this is what's been presented to me as the rules of this world. I am living in it now and I'll take that. And like, I don't need to be like, is this realistic? Like, wait, I need to know the science of how this happened. When I'm writing, like I'm a writer also and I write, I'm trying to write science fiction and I'm like, I need to think of, or fantasy. I'm like, I need all of the rules of my world to be so complete, but I don't need to explain them to my audience. Like I kind of want it not... I don't I don't want Mm -hmm. to explain it because like it's the same when you saw my play that I wrote um, that had rules and stuff. But I also was like, I'm letting you figure it out on your own. I'm not going to tell you what what's going on. And like, I think that artists are more willing to accept that kind of thing than non-artists, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think also too. Well, I, I also think I agree with that definitely. And I also feel like there's also a big swath of people who watch movies that know nothing about art that will sit through anything. Like, yes, or, and, you know, like, they're like, I don't really care. Like, and, and by what I mean is like, they'll just not through anything. Like they'll sit through the simple, stupid things, you know, like they won't watch anything that's more complicated. And I think that's beautiful. Like I have so many, I grew up, I mean, I went to school for theater and stuff, but I, my friends back home and stuff, they don't do theater or art. So, you know, when I suggest them to watch this like artsy movie, they're less into that in terms of other things, but they just want to watch like Godzilla versus King Kong, which is great. But it's not, you know, there's no rules to it. It's just simple, you know? Right. Right. There, I mean, also, some movies are, can be both. Like, mm-hmm. true. Like, if you are a kid watching Shrek, sorry to bring it back to Shrek, but if you're a kid watching something like Shrek, you're like, ah, this is a funny animated movie, blah, 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 blah. If you're an adult watching Shrek, there's so much more that you can parse out from it and, like, also a lot of funny dirty jokes that like you wouldn't get as a child but like there's more to be mined there I think the best movies are the movies like 13 going on 30 that can be an artistic statement and also can be something fun to watch when you're 13 yeah well it's like the kids it's like oh they always say like kids follow the plot but the parents get the jokes you know like Mm-hmm. But I think also, too, it comes from, like, especially in, like, this age of Twitter and online, and there's so much information all the time that we're just, like, expecting to have context to everything and explanation for everything. So it's, like, we expect our movies to also just, like, not just explain things, but, like, justify every single thing, and it has to be correct. Yeah. And it's, like, I think back then, not to say that these movies weren't correct or weren't justified in some way, but it was, like, yeah, you know, she just turns 30, and... uh you know, we just have to deal with it. And it's funny, fairy or, dust. In, you know, fairy dust or, um, you know, yeah, he's stuck in a coma and she's in love with him. And you know what? She just happens to fall in love with his brother instead. And yeah, I think a good example of 
this kind of phenomena of things that can be everything, like both, is the Mandalorian because Mm. that can be something for, you know, I mean, Star Wars fans are of all ages. So like kids can watch that and be like, ah, yeah, fun action movie. And people like me who don't know a lot about the extended universe but are huge Star Wars fans can watch that and it is a fun Star Wars thing. It's like my favorite Star Wars thing. But I don't know. I've never seen the Clone Wars. I don't know all this about Boba Fett disappearing and blah, blah, blah. But some people do and they're like, there's so much lore to this and all this stuff. And they've like really delved into it and they're getting something completely different out of it than I am. I'm just having a great time. I Star Wars like was the one of the first franchises that I was able to just kind of sit through and be like I feel like under, I understand everything going on yeah versus like Lord of the Rings or like even parts of Harry Potter uh, Harry Potter yes and no because I read the books so it was sort of like I knew but even then it was like I don't know I think that just are like things where it's like big universes but it's simple it's like yeah Star Wars is about all these big intergalactic things but it's really about like you know hope and it's about like it's about good and evil good and evil and and understanding the what is the force you know the force is within you know it's not it's not a like a thing that you can harness and harry potter is you know it's about friendship and and taking care of each other and family and you know and but about but like star wars it is ultimately it is so simple and it's it's almost like the world is a metaphor for these things and like yes there is this expansive other universe but like it's so it it's just accessible. It is accessible to everyone. It, it's so good. Just remember, you were super into Star Wars. I am super I mean, into Star you, Wars. You are still into Star Wars for a long time. Well, I started watching Star Wars in fourth grade, and I had a very big um, kind of I had I had a reckoning with myself because I thought Star Wars was for boys, um, and so. I watched it. I loved it. I was obsessed with it. Not for the action sequences or, or the fighting or, you know, all of the world building stuff. I was in it for the story of Luke and Leia finding out that they were twins. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was shocked when I found that out. I remember being like, what? And, fi- and Darth Vader being their father. What? I was so shocked. Um, so I hid my love of star wars for a long time i made up an alter ego for it called bubblegum wars and i would like doodle little things in my notebook (laughs) and they were like little anime characters um so that was a weird thing that i did and then decided that i could be open about it when i found out that my friend who was also a girl also liked star wars um and then since then i've just been watching the movies all the time I didn't, I, I have some books, but I didn't really get into the extended universe thing. I didn't watch the Clone Wars. The originals are what I usually watch if I'm like, I want to watch Star Wars. Oh, yeah. So, definitely. like, I've seen those hundreds of times, probably. The sequels, I meant the prequels, I've seen those a lot of times, too, because every horny teen goes through a phase where they watch those a lot, I think. Oh. I don't know. Horny t- who's the... Ho- it, yeah. I mean, it's pretty. it's a pretty horny series. It's yeah, it's pretty. They didn't know what they were doing there. Um, no, it was that was a bit of a mess. The the prequels are bad, but they're fun. They're fun. Yeah. yeah. Again, another thing where it's like, don't take itself too seriously. Where it's exactly. Like, a lot of them hated it, but it's also like, yeah, whatever. Like, okay, That's sure, it thing. works. That's what makes the Star Wars community so divisive. Like, they're they're so divided because some people are like mad about the new movies, and I'm like, did you have a good time? That's true. Because I did. Last one that came out, um, I did not like because I felt not because, not because it was in a Star Wars, but because I just felt like it was 
relying too heavily. They were like really worried about like what the fans will say and what people will say. And so they kind of catered to it. And then instead just made like, I felt like a pretty disappointing ending. That's That's how I feel about it. I I can totally see that perspective. And I've talked to a lot of people who feel that way. And I can also appreciate that like point of view because I – agree that that is what happened they made the first one which was catering to the fans and I had a great time because I am a fan the second one they did something completely different turned everything on its head everyone was mad about it I was mad about it first then I saw it again and I was like oh I see what they're doing there and I loved it and then the last one um you know the thing is like I had a great time while I was watching it I was like sobbing and I was like Carrie Fisher but every time I talk about it and I try to defend it then I remember that like Raylo is a thing and that makes me really mad that's the thing that happened i was working at a movie theater when it came out in oh. new york i was working at the alamo draft house oh nice and uh and so i worked that movie all the time and so that's probably why i was like less inclined to die to be there at 6 a.m for a set 6 30 a.m showing who goes to the alamo draft house at 6 7 a.m before work people wanted to see the movie so oh, that's yeah, what and people were there I remember when the Kai, when the Kyren, what are they, the Raylo. like, Raylo scene happened when they kissed. There was like an audible like, ugh, like from the whole audience, <laughs> like an audible like, so, like what, like kind of like moving people just being like, like, come on. And I was just, I remember watching that. I didn't wasn't like watching it fully, but I was like doing something else, and I'm like stopped. It stopped me in my tracks, and I just went. Ugh. Yeah. I guess I got to see this. And then the whole time I was sort of like, there actually, I liked it more than I thought I did, but I would. But um, I just felt like for a final one, I, I wanted to go more in the direction of the previous movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think that thinking on it, thinking back on it now and thinking about like the plot, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. But the thing that, that I think like within the Star Wars community, some people go around being angry about it. And I'm like, I'm just not going to watch it again. Like, I might watch it at some point if I'm doing a full rewatch. But, like, it was good. It was like, I had a good time. I'm not thinking about it too hard. What I do think about really hard, though, are the spinoffs that I want. And I particularly want a spinoff. And I'm really hoping that they do this. I actually haven't watched The Bad Batch yet. So I don't know if this might be, like, something about what I am hoping for, but they hinted very heavily, I mean, very on the nose about um, Finn and Janna being force sensitive ex stormtroopers. And what I want is a spinoff about the empire plucking up force sensitive children and turning them into stormtroopers because that would be dope. And I'm pretty sure that's what they were hinting at happening. That's what, that's what I thought it was just going to be that like, there's just a bunch of people that just have the force, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just a thing that, people have whether you're a stormtrooper whether you're whatever right because there's no never... way that that's not the case yeah it's just no way that there's just like only only these people have it no yeah no. and it's like so i yeah i think you should write it molly and i think it would be a great prequel sequel extended universe type of thing i'll pitch it. they kind of talk about i mean the mandalorian they kind of have a little bit of of that too it's been hinted um, at all over the place it was hinted yeah. at with that kid in the second one the second mm-hmm. new one um who was like sweeping and then he dropped he dropped yeah he comes yeah. back up he's like that's a great way to end the whole thing yeah i'm really i'm i'm holding out for hope that star wars can can uh i mean i don't know i also don't care enough about it but it was just and it was just like this thing i think i was more mad at like the fandom 
that were surrounding it because they were assholes throughout all three of the movies. Right. You know, the fact that, you know, the film centered around the women pissed off a lot of people. And, you know, that alone made... So what I liked about that middle movie was that it just kind of gave them all a middle finger. Even Mm -hmm. if it was, like, so different and weird and didn't work. I think it worked. I think think it worked well. I guess it's just people just sort of... It was just sort of saying, like, "Uh uh-huh, this is... star. It's, like, actually going talking about the themes of what this movie is about. Um, Right. And I think that also what's great about the second one is that it kind of does what Empire did, but for this new series, like... The first one was pretty much A New Hope. Like, it was the same plot line. Then they were like, Empire was so good because it totally turned everything on its head. Everyone who was in the audience was like, what's happening? And people hated Empire when it first came out. And I think that's what happened with um, whatever the second movie is called. I think The Mandalorian gives me hope for the future of Star Wars. I think that, like, they're going to keep making stuff like that. And I think that's going to be really good for the franchise. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I I think you should write it, Molly. I think Maybe you write already. You should write. You're a writer too. You wrote you wrote a, a great play. Are you writing anything else, by the way, besides that play or something well, else? Well, during the pandemic, I've been working on two novels. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a foray into an unknown territory for me because in college I studied playwriting and I did take fiction classes. Um, but it's been a while. So, and I've never attempted to write a novel. I've hardly even attempted to write a short story. I I wrote a short story for class once and that was it. And like, so I was kind of, I'm feeling a little silly for being like, I'm going to write a novel, but I've written like at least half of both. So that's, I've been working on that. It's hard. It's something to do though. You can't, you're not going to say what those novels are. Oh, I can. Um, well, they're both rom-coms. Well, they're not rom-coms. Oh, um, of course. There we they're go. both, like, uh, one of them is a queer YA fantasy novel um, about a teen who lives in this magical place but ha- is displaced because of a kind of overlordy kind of force that is the U.S. government um, and is like, get mm. out of here. Anyway, so she's like on the run and she ends up in coastal Connecticut because I only know how to write about coastal Connecticut. It's beautiful there. It is. It's a really good place to write about. So she ends up there and falls in love with this girl at who's in high school and is like a normal teen. But then there's a plot twist. Um, so that's one of them. And then the other one is more of a it's I would classify it as like new adult fiction, um, which is like age 18 to 28 or like like our age range um and it's about someone whose best friend dies and she like gets stuck at home or she like goes home but then she like is struggling with all of this like she she's got a drinking problem and so like it really exacerbates her drinking problem so then she ends up going home permanently and like being in her hometown and like trying to get back on her feet but like also learn how to allow herself to have good things again after her best friend has died and she's like so sad but she has to figure out how to allow herself to feel joy uh but i have less of that one written so it's more of like a concept yeah it seems like that one's gonna take some time you want to take yeah. your time with that one yeah plus that was, yeah. yeah i started writing that one when i got stuck with the first one and mm. now i like kind of want to get back to the first one because i'm feeling stuck with that one yeah mm. How do you know when you're stuck? It's just like... I just didn't know what else to write about. Right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
they both sound like great, very different stories. And in some ways, they feel also very connected to each other. For me, I, st- I wanted to write the queer fantasy novel that I would have liked to have read when I was a kid reading like Harry Potter. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's, there, if there is a resurgence of them now, I think there's a lot of queer fantasy and like science fiction. So I've been reading some of that um, as research, but also just for fun. And, yeah. um, and I think that like, but I still think that it needs to be out there. Like, I, I think that kids, there needs to be more queer fiction for kids in the genres that they like that's, like, not about them being queer, but is about, like, a plot. Even with rom-com movies, too, they were all, like... So straight. Straight, yeah, very yeah. straight. Um, and then, like, there'd be... Yeah, I can't even think of any, you know, so, like, having, like, a a gay rom-com would be cool or something that's, like, a little bit more diverse. Or, yes, which know, is it's why... It's not white and rich. Like, kind of mad about The Happiest Season. Like, I hate to be mad about movies because, again, I like most of them. But The Happiest Season, I was upset because it. what I think everyone was hoping for was a gay Christmas movie. Because all of these Christmas rom-coms that we love so much that we were just talking about, all of, like, The Holiday and Love Actually, like, they're all really straight. And I think that we wanted The Happiest Season to be just a gay Christmas movie. And it ended up being about having to stay closeted and then like you if you loved me you would come out and then it's like complicated because she does love you but she can't come out and it just like was and that's a thing but then like you that's not an excuse to treat your partner badly i don't know if you saw the happiest season is that the one with dan levy that was on hulu yeah that, yeah okay i think i i heard the discourse about it but i never saw it i was actually yeah. interested in seeing it but it was i mean i it was the thing is, I want to say I had fun, but I didn't. <laughs> and that's what is a marker of a bad movie for me. Because there's such a lack of that type of representation in the past that now people have high, such high standards, I guess. I mean, I guess not high standard. I think it's like the bare minimum. But, you know, like they want people want to see kind of they, they want to be happy with the product and, and what they see. And it's like it's not enough to just have queer characters or to just have like someone be gay. You know, it's like there there are they people want it to be good. And I think that makes it all the more challenging and can make for better art too. Oh um, yeah. There's a balance between making it a big plot point and not acknowledging it at all and being like, oh, like, like fucking JK Rowling, the she who must not be named being like, Dumbledore was gay the whole time. It was like, <laughs> and you should have told us in the, you should have said something in the book. It's, and I think that, that, that sounds like it strikes the balance. Well, Shit's Creek, Dan Levy has talked about how, he wanted it to exist in this world where even in this like Hickstown, Nowheresville, wherever they are, they are all super accepting and like it's not a thing, but it's a thing enough that like the I I don't want to give Shit's Creek spoilers, but like it is so good and pure. Gay marriage exists. Gay there. marriage exists and it is and and they they still have to have like a coming out moment. But it's beautifully done and... I just... Yeah, I remember I think it's the first or second season where they kind of like all this silly stuff happens and he's like... Uh, he After he's, he sleeps with her and mm-hmm. then he's like, oh, it's part of his phase. Like she, uh, the father is mm-hmm. like, oh, it's part of his phase or something. And then Moira turns and she goes, it's not a phase. It's yeah. who he is. Yeah. And then it just kind of like stops there. Like mm-hmm. the conversation stops there. And then it's like some other joke or something stupid. Like mm-hmm. just remember being like, oh, like 
you know, like just like a moment where it's sort of like reminding you as an audience, like to be responsible, like to remind right. it's like it's not him being crazy, it's just like who he is, you know. Right. He's, he's bi, he sleeps with one woman in the show, but he's attracted to men, like who cares what defines that? Yeah. You know? And I think that that episode in particular, like that's Johnny's reconciliation with like he hasn't come to terms with it yet. And the scene with him and Roland, and he's like, my son is pansexual, and Roland doesn't right. know what that means. Mm-hmm. And so Johnny has to explain it to him. And in that, and in talking to Roland about it, he kind of like starts to understand. He's like, no, I'm going to defend my son on this. And then Roland's like, we can't tell our kids who to love, Johnny. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's like, a, it's kind of an awkward moment where you're like, you're expecting something horrible to happen. He's like, there's going to be like, oh, fuck it, you know, whatever, yeah. in man room. And then it's like, they're both realizing like, Oh, we don't know. They're like learning from each other. They don't yeah. know enough. They yeah. still they still don't know enough. They're still like not all together there, but it's like enough for them to at least accept that it's a thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then when and then the scene that you're talking about with him and Moira and her telling him, no, it's not a phase like that also tells the audiences it's OK when people you love make mistakes to correct them. Right. I think that show is. Pr- I, I have no. I haven't watched a single Shit's Creek episode that I can't watch. Like I feel like with most shows, there's an episode that is too cringy, like Scott's Tots or. I love like, Scott's Tots. I Scott's love. Tots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and then there's like one in Gilmore Girls that I was watching the other day that I had to turn off. It's like the, yeah. when they go to Martha's Vineyard, I just can't handle it. It's Gilmore too- Girls had a lot of cringe. Cr- Gilmore Girls a little cringy, Very but much. I love it. Still. It's very much stuck in that time period, but yes, um, it, it is, or um, stuck in that world, whatever it is. That's something that the early two thousands was not good for. Like, yeah, but Schitt's Creek doesn't have any cringe for me. question ask everyone and i always mess up the wording of this so here goes what is a meaningful moment you had with a friend that involved a piece of art excellent work um this one is also hard for me because i feel like a lot of my meaningful moments of like experiencing art were things that i did on my own so um i have to say probably having my play produced um and you came to see it that opening night having all of these people around me that I love telling me that something that I made was good was really great and then like on closing night I was a wreck and I was like crying it was the middle of the afternoon and everyone had left the theater and I was just like laying on the floor and crying because I was so tired it was just an exhausting weekend um and my friend was walking with me to the train station and I was crying on the phone And then he was just like, do you want to go get cupcakes? And I was like, yeah. And I had just like had this full weekend of having so much love and support. And like my play had happened and it had gone well. And then I like, I couldn't handle it anymore. And my friend bought me this amazing vegan cupcake. And we like played Guess Who because they had board games at the cupcake place. And yeah, it was uh, the cupcake was actually called Molly's Cupcakes, I think. Um, wow. Yeah. And so we had cupcakes and we played Guess Who? And I felt so much better afterwards. Um, and that was that was a really beautiful, meaningful experience, especially because like with my play, 
all of my friends, all of the team were people I was friends with for the most part. Um, so I got to like bring all these people together from different parts of my life and we got to make something together and then I got a cupcake. That's beautiful. I remember really enjoying it. It was like one of the first things I did when I came to the city. Like I remember I like just moved into my apartment and was like, oh, like unemployed, didn't know what I was going to do. It's like, I'm going to go see Molly's play. And I was like so impressed with how not just you, but everybody put together like a show, your show. And was I thought it was well acted and well put together and well written. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I, that moment to, to feel, especially after working so hard on a project and feeling insecure that it might be bad or people might not get it. And, you know, it's New York and, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It's good to finally have, have that kind of like, uh, get those cupcakes, you know, just hang yeah. out. Yeah, and it was also, I mean, I didn't know that, like, you and our other Russia friends were coming. Oh, really? Yeah, and so that was a really nice surprise. And then, like, people from all over my life had come to that opening night, but then also the other two days of the play. And it was, like, I felt very just, like, supported and, like, oh, my gosh, people want to come see what I made. And, and, like, all of these, like, surprise people that I wasn't expecting to come came. And it was just, like, really nice. Yeah. It was great. And I think that's also good to know that like to recognize like it is hard. It's like really hard to put out things that you make. And even if people like it, you're always just like or people support you. It's like, is it good? But I think it's yeah, it's good that you had that moment and realized like, you know what? It's all really about the cupcakes and just hanging out. You know, It's about getting that cupcake afterwards. Yeah. Molly's cupcakes. Yeah. I want a cupcake now. Um, Me too. Anyways, that's beautiful. Beautiful way to take it and segue into the last part, which is um, as we come to a close, what's a, what's a piece of advice you want to leave our, our new best friends? Well, new best friends, um, I the piece of advice that I would like to give you all and you, Eden, and I think it fits in with what we've been talking about, is something that my dad said to me. Uh, my dad passed away almost a year ago, but before he died, I was like, it was the pandemic and I was feeling very much like there's a lot going on in the world and I'm an artist and what am I doing to help the world like I'm not a very political person like I want to be politically active but I don't know how and like I'm making I'm writing stupid things and and he said to me creating is an inherently political act and that made me feel like what we do matters and like that he said he always used to say if you can change one person's mind with your play or with your book or with your poem or whatever and like make them see a different point of view then you've done something important that's beautiful thanks yeah it's all important that's how i feel when i do this podcast or your podcast you know it doesn't matter if people are listening to it it just feels good to do it you know yeah and if we make one person happy that one person can make other people happy it's a domino effect exactly yeah i feel like we've made many people happy and especially it's weird too because i yeah that's such an interesting thing because art in itself is like radical no matter what it is you know especially those rom-coms you know it's like we're talking about it's like it is pretty it's pretty important that those were came out when they did yeah especially in the early 2000s Ugh, and also for you too like growing up it's like we're still talking about it on a podcast like 10 years later you know and it's somehow important to us yeah they didn't think about that when they were making it but it's still important yeah it's so beautiful, and he, it was so right that he did that, and that he said that, um, because I think it's so easy to forget how important it all is, especially when it's, like, in a pandemic and with everything happening, and 
should I be making money or should I be doing this or both? It's It all matters, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's important to make people happy and smile. Yeah. Which is what you do all the time, Molly. And on your you. Podcasts and, You've made and, me smile and, and, right now. Thank you. Oh, you're smiling right now. You made yeah. you definitely made me smile when I <laughs> uh, found the apartment. When you gave me to let me sublet the apartment, I was really lost for a second. But that's what matters. Do you have an else? Do you have anything you want to plug to everyone before we head out? Yeah, I'll plug my podcast again. It's called Pod and Prejudice, and. Um, yeah, we, we talk about Jane Austen. We're currently talking about Sense and Sensibility. We're in season two. Um, and season one is available in its entirety wherever you listen to podcasts. So And it's spoiler free. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, all at Pod and Prejudice. Um, but don't tell me anything that happens in any Jane Austen <laughs> novel because I don't know and I don't want to. <laughs> And you haven't read any of it yet? Like you, I've read you Sense and Sensibility. So I've read all of Pride and Prejudice. So mm-hmm. I'm totally, you can tell me whatever about that. Uh, okay. Sense and Sensibility, I am like a third of the way through. Okay, hear that? Don't tell her anything about Sense and Sensibility except for the first third. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Pride and Prejudice, you can talk to her all about. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the bio. We'll do, we'll do a whole thing. Okay, great. We'll link up Instagram accounts. It'll be great. Uh, thank you so much for coming, Molly. You've been such a great guest and my new... Best friend, follow Molly. Thank you, Molly. Your Best Friend, Edun, is produced and hosted by me, Edun, artwork by Maya Levy, music clips by The Avalanches, Tom Howe, and Schitt's Creek. Special thank you to Molly for being such a wonderful guest. Her podcast, Pod and Prejudice, is available to listen anywhere you listen to podcasts, and she's also got a fun Instagram page as well, at Pod and Prejudice. If you want to check it out, I've also linked it in the episode description. Be sure to also follow my Insta at your BFE Done for updates on the show and info for how to get on it. Stay safe, and I will see you all soon.